Can you give it up for this team up here? Man, we are so blessed. We are so blessed. The team went down to uh, Florida in the last uh, week and a half, and they went to a, a conference, an experience conference, and um, Ryder took some of the team down there, and I could just tell they got their sails filled with the wind of God's spirit. So we're so grateful to have them. And I don't know if you know this, but I used to lead worship here at Impact. How many remember that? Just, just a small remnant. And um, I just, yeah. I wanted to embarrass the guy real quick. He just walked off stage, but Joe Warren was down there with us at Experience Conference, and some of you have been here for a long time, I remember. Back in like 2011, 2012, he started playing drums every other week or so on the band and just has grown so much spiritually yeah. and just in his gifting. Are you back and, there, uh, buddy? Yeah, is Joe back there? Yeah, you get out of here. Let's give this guy a hand. He is just a yes. our team. Yeah. And uh, he's very proud of him as a musician, but I really just him spiritually. Yeah. Yeah, maybe share just what God did in your life at the oh, conference. No, I can't public speak. Oh, no, buddy, no, buddy, you got this. No, just, just talk to me. No, it, what, was, it was great. It was great. <laughs> what, about, what about it was good to fill your heart? As I, you honestly, even play drums, how do you worship while you're playing dude, drums? It felt so good, like, just be on, like, in the crowd and whatnot. It was, like, refreshing, I would say. So, yeah. Yeah, I just needed that. We love you here. Thanks, man. Yeah, we do. Sorry, we love you, man. Speaking. Yeah, that's good. That's good. He doesn't want to public speak. He just wants to bang on things. So... Um, we, we feel it. We feel it. And this is, uh, this is what's so critical. Like, it's cool to be here for a long time because you see these little pipsqueaks that basically could not hold a rhythm. And just through all the ex exploration of the arts and exploring your gifts, like, they start to learn their gifts and they bang on, like, garbage cans and trash cans and do stomp things. And all of a sudden, they're just they're nurtured and discipled by guys like Ryder and, and others. And then they're just up here and just giving their heart to the kingdom. So I'm so grateful for that. God has been so good and I'm just celebrating his goodness even tonight. That sort of caught me by surprise. And uh, I was like, that just is so powerful. Those real people that I love up here that uh, lead us in that way. And God's been good this week. He really has. And in my life and uh, in our community, so many good things happening, so much encouragement taking place in these days, and we've needed that. Um, we got uh, Big Ten football back. And so Ohio State can beat up on these Michigan teams again, and I'm looking forward to that. Amen. Can I get an amen? Amen. Marcus and Lindsay followed me up here from Bellefontaine, Ohio, so they're the only ones I had to bring across uh, on enemy lines. And, uh, and then just these days, and then uh, I saw Lowell football beat East uh, on Friday, which is so cool. Um, any of your kids playing football this year? We got one down here. I see that hand. That's a lot of salvations. So we're going to count those as salvations tonight as well. But um, loving that. And then I just want to share with you some juicy goodness, just an eyeful of goodness that's been hitting me the last couple weeks. And it's, it's our friend Joe. Um, he put this up on his Facebook. And many of you know Joe better than you know me because he's at the door and he's getting... And Joe, can you just stand up? He's actually present here. That, he's right up there. But this is what he looks like with clothes on. Um, and I just wanted to show you there is the, like the, the goodness of four men in that body right there. <laughs> Joe, stay back there. You're supposed to be the bouncer. Uh, but we got, we got some crazy dad jokes. Not only is Joe every morning, if, if you don't subscribe to Joe or you aren't friends with Joe, Joe every morning will give you the weather and he won't give it to you in advance. He'll tell you just what's happening in the moment, which isn't a great weather, man. But I'll tell you right now, the sun appears to be out. And then he'll type that. And you're like, thanks, I already knew that. But he goes by and will tell you what the Doppler says and whether something's blinking and all this stuff on his way to work. So that's always good. I get that every morning. And then he's been doing for the last several weeks dad jokes. And I would like to think I inspired that uh, as his pastor. I did. I, I would like to think that, and it's true. And uh, most of the time, everything I like to think as actually isn't true. But 
We got some crazy dad jokes from Joe. Can I just start with that here to bring some merriment and mirth to this place? Not that we're needing it. It seems like you're full of, of uh, spizzerinkdom tonight. But here we go. You ready? Yeah. How do you have a party in space? You plan it. That's for free. And these are all from Joe on his Facebook every day. I went back. An escaped prisoner was caught camping out in the woods. It was a clear case of criminal intent. <laughs> oh, that's so good. I often worry about German sausages. Not really. Because I fear the worst. That joke was the worst. <laughs> I always knock on the refrigerator door before opening, just in case there's a salad dressing. It's true. I'm just waiting for the people that start laughing 10 seconds later. Where do you take someone who's been injured in a peekaboo accident? The ICU. Actually, my, my view of you went down on that one, but this, this next one was worth it all. I told my wife to embrace her mistakes. That was the longest hug I ever had. And that's just the truth if you're married here. Uh, but uh, so I'm gonna just tell my wife that tonight and hope I get some action. So it's my wife, I can say that. Yes, you can. I heard somebody affirm me. That would be an amen. <clears throat> well, the jokes have nothing to do with what I want to share today, uh, but I wanted to bring some levity into the room before we dive into week five of Greenlit and then delve into God's word here today. As we get ready to launch into the fall, it already feels like we are, but we kind of launch in October, I wanted to talk about something that I preached on uh, nearly 10 years ago. It was this idea of fellowship and friendship and really discipleship from a Hebrew mindset, what it was from a Hebrew vantage point. And while so many of us uh, online or on site are really comfortable being with other people during this coronavirus plague, I wanted to talk about what I believe is the irreducible minimum of the Christian life. That would be the lowest common denominator to those who claim to participate in Christian community or church community. The idea struck me afresh as I read through the Bible even a month and a half ago, because I saw it all the way through the scriptures, in the entirety of the scriptures, the essential nature of having a crime, a partner in crime to do life with. This idea of God sending people two by two as they navigate the highs and lows of life together. And the verse that really triggered my initial exploration of this two uh, by two idea is found in Luke chapter 10. And so I thought I'd use that verse as a springboard for our conversation today. If you have your Bible, you can open up. I'm gonna tell you, I am going to have tons of scriptures so you might wanna follow uh, on the screens. Luke chapter 10, one through three. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others that's 72 others beyond the 12, and sent them, what? Two by two. two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. So he'd send them out early, they'd do some reconnaissance, and then he would join them. And he told them, the harvest is plentiful, talking about people's souls, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers, plural, into the harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs, to the wolves, again, plural, lambs and workers to the wolves. If you're gonna be sent out into the wolves of this world, you don't wanna go alone. That's right. And I don't think Jesus would send any of them out by themselves to the wolves unless there were a couple lambs going at one time. A couple lambs are pretty powerful among wolves, especially when they're the church. And it occurred to me as I thought about this two-by-two two strategy of Jesus 
that the minute I started passionately following God with my life when I was 18, he always placed other significant people in my life to follow him with. Back in my freshman year of college, it was Jeff Rackinator, first guy I ever prayed with, just the two of us, peers. Mr. Boykin, he was my dorm dad, big six foot seven black guy who became my dad on the campus in my sophomore year all the way to my senior year. Ralph Paldine, when I came home from college and uh, we, would, we would go actually door to door witnessing to people together. And that was a scary experience. But Ralph would take me out and I remember sitting on the bluff on Oswego up by uh, Lake Ontario or Fort Ontario. We would just talk about what God was doing. He had me read a book by, by Leonard Ravenhill. Why Revival Terry's? I'll never forget this. And he was working with this young guy, me, this upstart, and uh, came alongside of me. And then when I started preaching at different churches in the area in my junior and senior year, Art Jones would go everywhere I went with me to all of these churches. And we would talk on the way there and we would talk on the way back. And I stunk at it, but I had somebody to stink at it with me to help me. I would ask him, how did it go? What did you feel? What landed? What's God doing in your life? And he would ask me questions. It was critical for my spiritual formation. And I got to my first ministry as a youth pastor in Bell Fountain with Jeff Barrows. And it wasn't long before I went to his house and Jeff Barrows came into my life and we went out to the Red Lantern every Tuesday morning for all eight years that I was there. And he joined me in the birth of all of my children and growing as a dad and a husband through some low points and some high points. That guy was critical in my life, still is. I came up here, some of you may not know this guy, he moved to Florida a while back, but Brian Kuick. And within two weeks, I found another guy to do life with and we met every Saturday morning at McDonald's for coffee and um, sometimes sandwiches and we would meet there and talk every Saturday morning at 6.30 in the morning. I was always on the hunt to find another guy to do life with because I knew I couldn't do it alone very well. You can go you know, fast alone, but you cannot go far alone. And then Ryan Kresge and John Bell came on staff almost around the same time when I became the lead pastor. And Ryan Kresge, after Brian Kuick, we would meet every week in my Talmudim. And then John Bell came in. And I'll tell you, these guys are lifesavers for me in this ministry. Some of these men were providentially placed in my life by God, but most of them I had to actively pursue knowing my need for dual discipleship. The older I've gotten, the more I see how close to impossible it is to follow God alone. We were made to follow him and fellowship with others. And I'm not talking about just getting into a building for an hour every week. I'm talking meeting with a person. You talk to them, they talk to you, and you bear witness to each other's lives and bear burdens of each other's lives. Our relationship with God was never meant to be simply one-on-one. -on -one. It was designed by Jesus to be two-by-two. So I wanted to share some historical and contextual concepts that may help us sense uh, God's plan for humanity and ultimately for the church when it comes to true Christian community or as we call it in church fellowship. There were key relationships in he Hebrew culture that defined discipleship. First, you follow the rabbi. The rabbi is just another word for teacher. Jesus was a rabbi. There were other rabbis that would have Talmuds underneath them or disciples. So the teacher would then get yoked up with Talmud that would follow him. Second was friend a Talmud, another disciple, and then form a Talmudim, which was a grouping of disciples, usually two, sometimes three, that would actually follow the rabbi together and go on missions together. See, this rabbi-talmud rabbi relationship in junior culture was fascinating. A Talmud of Jesus' day would surrender his life in order to be with his teacher, his rabbi. The disciple didn't only seek to know what the teacher knew, as it is usually the case today. It was not enough just to know what the rabbi said, but the foremost goal of any Talmud was to become like the rabbi and do what the rabbi did. 
This is a huge distinction as it relates to the relationship between students and teachers today. You see, a student wants to learn and know what the teacher knows, but a Talmud or disciple in Hebrew culture, however, wanted to be what the rabbi is. And you can see even in pictures of Jesus walking with disciples and he had women disciples and he had male disciples that were walking with him and they were all walking with him together. And that was a very powerful group of people, 12 men that he chose to walk with. There's another historical piece of discipleship that I fear is all but lost in our modern Christian culture. And that's this, a disciple studying under an ancient rabbi was always given a study partner to work with, to live with. They would help each other in their studies, pushing each other to grow, keeping each other accountable to emulate the rabbi that they were following. And this was called a Talmudim. And this to this day, even going to Israel, I, was, I took a picture. This was a picture um, at the Wailing Wall and around the Wailing Wall. You can see the rabbis working with a Talmud and Talmudims where these young men talk about the scriptures together and he comes in and shares with them and trains them and they walk with him to see how to do life life. Would that make a bit big difference in your life rather than I do? I got saved and then I was on my own. Some of you here know what it's like to have bands of brothers or society of sisters that you walk with and it makes all the difference in the world. It, It just gives it meat and traction and there's motivation to read the word when you're not just like you and God. No, it's hard to keep yourself accountable to do some of these things. And certainly when you're going through heavy things in your life, to be able to like turn to somebody and a burden shared is cut in half, right? So it's like all these burdens we bear alone, there's there's other people that will bear those with you. And so this is what happens right up to today in Hebrew culture. A Talmud is a disciple, a Talmudim is a pair or group of disciples. Jesus took this practice and developed it with each of his disciples, not only the 12 or the 72 we talked about, but we all know that Jesus called 12 that we concentrate on. However, we've missed the fact that he also combined them in pairs. I wanna show you a passage of scripture in Matthew 10, one through three, and maybe you've never seen this, but they're listed in bands of two. In Matthew 10, it says, he called the 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. He doesn't just go through 12, he breaks them up into Talmudims. Simon and his brother Andrew, James the son of Zebedee and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the text collector, James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. All 12 of them were broken into six Talmudims because when he sent them out, they couldn't go alone. I just saw this 10 years ago for the first time and it made sense. So when Jesus sends out 12 to do mission projects, he sends them in pairs. We see this in Mark 6, 6 through 7. Then when Jesus went around teaching from village to village, he called the 12 to him and he sent them out, how? Two by two two and gave them authority over evil spirits. And they're still in pairs all the way after Jesus dies in Acts chapter one, verse 13, after he ascends, they shifted their pairings, which I thought was interesting. And it's possible that Jesus got to know them better and they got to know each other better because in Acts 1.13, it says this, when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying and those present were now Peter and John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot and Thaddeus. Now that's just 11 because Judas committed suicide. So what do you have to do when you have 11 disciples, but you need pairs? The first thing they did when Jesus ascended to heaven was find another disciple so that it could be 11. You never have 11, you never have 13, you never have 69 or 71, you have 70 or 72 because they're broken into pairs throughout the scripture. I think it's profound when Judas commits suicide, and the 12 dropped to 11, the first thing they did after Jesus ascended to heaven was choose another disciple to make it 12 again. And in order for each of them to have a partner, Matthias was chosen to partner up with Thaddeus. 
It is this partnership around purpose that gives a person staying power in the Christian life. Stamina to make it through seasons of doubt, fatigue, confusion, temptations, and tribulations. Discipleship requires deep partnership and friendship. You don't wanna be greenlit by yourself. You gotta be greenlit with someone else to be with you. God has always functioned this way throughout history, teaming people up to accomplish his calling. I was reading the Old Testament and I put a few of them together. Even Abraham had Lot for a while, but the one that I noticed first was Moses and Aaron. And you see these two going two by two and this principle was clearly in the story of Moses as he led the people out of Egypt into the promised land. Exodus 33, 12, I love this conversation between he and God where God told him to go and Moses talked back to him and said, you've been telling me lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you're gonna send with me. I think that's a lot of candor and confidence to talk to God that way. Like we know how this works. You can tell me to go, but I ain't going nowhere. In fact, he probably had a bumper sticker on his camel that said, I won't go without a bro. What do you know? And so God's like, ah, okay, I can make that happen. You're gonna go with your brother Aaron and you're gonna team up. Anybody watch tag team wrestling in WWF? Somebody to jump off the top tur turnbuckle. Just take someone out. Does anybody know WWF in here other than Joe? I know you have. I don't watch it, but I, I always did when I was a kid and I loved when they would like tag and someone else would come in and just clothesline somebody. That's what you need. Somebody to clothesline your boys when you're having a hard time raising them. Like, can you come over to my house and can you execute my child? <laughs> Phineas, I mean, that's not what I mean, but you get what I'm saying. Phineas and Caleb, two spies sent into Jericho. Joshua and Caleb, that's a famous pairing. That's why I named my boys that. Elijah and Elisha. Nehemiah and Ezra, the governor and the priest. Jeremiah and Baruch. I mean, there were tons of them, but I'm just gonna stop there. You can see these pairings that go out. Some things in the Bible you read and you're like, hmm, I don't really know. It's a principle, but what would Jesus do? because we don't know if he would own a summer home on the shore of Lake Michigan or watch Dancing with the Stars or go to the movies or root for Michigan or Michigan State or say the word crap or listen to the Beatles. Okay, we know he would listen to the Beatles, but the other stuff we don't know. But when it comes to discipleship, there are some things that aren't up for grabs. They're not for sale. They're not open to reinterpretation or reinvention. And in these scenarios, the question needs to be asked, what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? And very clearly throughout the Bible, he put people in teams of two and sent them out on missions together. And we have to say why. We have to wonder why. And I wanna hose you down with some scripture that testifies to this fact. We've obviously seen he did it with the 12 and the 72, but the scriptures are replete with this theme as the early church began to take over the world. Jesus didn't actually come up with this idea. This was a part of Jewish culture. He was just obeying an irrefutable tradition that he deemed too successful to reinvent. We see this two-disciple theme right off the bat with John the Baptist even before Jesus started his earthly ministry. In John chapter 1, verse 35, it says, The next day, John, John the Baptist, was there again with how many of his disciples? Two. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus as a couple. Luke 7, 18 and 19, John actually is in prison at the time, about to be beheaded, and he's talking to his disciples about all these things and calling, how many? Two of them. He sent them to the Lord together to ask, are you the one is to come or should we expect someone else? Two of them. You wouldn't see it if you're not looking for it, but it's all through the Gospels. In fact, Jesus sent disciples on mission together in Mark 14, 13. So Jesus sent two of his disciples telling them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you, follow him. Matthew 21, one. They approached Jerusalem, came to Bethphage on Mount of Olives and Jesus sent 
two disciples, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you'll find a donkey tied there with a colt with, by her. Untie them and bring them to me. Jesus again, now on the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, because this is what Talmudims did. After something occurred, after Jesus died, and, um, and he had now rose again, but after he had died, they were talking about the scriptures, and could that have been the Messiah, and what just happened in Jerusalem? said they were seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened and they talked and discussed these things with each other. And Jesus himself came up and walked along with this Talmudim and they weren't even his disciples, but they were a disciple of another rabbi and they did what disciples did at the time. They walked along the road and they talked about everything that had happened and talked and discussed these things with each other. This is what we need in this church that after things happen, you talk to someone about it. Things are always happening in your life and in my life. But a lot of us here have gotten very used to not talking to anyone about it. And I will say with all the confidence in the world, it isn't good enough just to talk to God. You need to talk with his body because that's the physical incarnation of God on this earth. Did you see what just happened? What's your take on what happened? I'm gonna share something and push back if I'm not like interpreting this correctly and hopefully you're with someone that's like, that's not what I see, bro. That's not what I feel. That's not what I saw happened. And you can find truth with a partner. Two by two was Jesus' primary, I would say slash only strategy. There was this piece of art by James Tissett in the 1800s that I thought was kind of cool, this two by two strategy where they would come up, he'd bless them and then commission them to go to various cities. And I'm telling you, Israel actually looks like this right now. You get on a mountain and you can see Nazareth in the distance and you can see these places talked about in scripture from a mountain where these places are in the mountains. And he would send them, you go there, you go there, you go there. And he would send them two by two and you can just see a physical like expression of that. So powerful. Jesus didn't send anyone alone. And there's just, it's more than a principle. It borders on a prescription that we must join in twos for survival and success. But it didn't stop with Jesus. It bled over into the book of Acts with Paul and other Christ followers as the church began to grow and multiply. Buckle your Holy Spirit seatbelt. Here we go. Acts 12, 25. But the word of God continued to increase, increase and spread. Cool. And when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, because they were out on a mission, they returned from Jerusalem talking and taking with them John, also called Mark. They brought this young dude in to their Talmudim. In Acts 15, it says, the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose from among them men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. So they chose Judas and Silence, two men who are leaders among the brothers. You don't just wanna choose one person and send them into ministry. You choose two and send them. Acts 15 Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers in all the towns uh, where we preach the word of God and see how they're doing, which follow-up is a really important thing to following. I'm gonna share this later, but it's following, it's follow-up, and it's follow-through. That's why you need other people. To say you follow without follow-up will not lead to follow-through. Those are the three follow things. You got that? Follow, follow-up, follow-through. That's what another person does. Let's go back to the towns and see how people are doing. Let's follow up with them. Well, there was a sharp disagreement and Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with him, but Paul did not think it wise to take him. They disagreed, this Talmudim, because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and not continued with the, the work. And they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. But it's amazing when they parted, they didn't go one-on-one, -on -one, but Barnabas found another guy. He took Paul and sailed for Cyprus and Paul chose Silas and left and commanded the brothers, uh, commended uh, by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So out of this disagreement, it wasn't like, we're gonna leave and we're gonna go, you know, solo on this mission. Nope, we're gonna find and choose other people we can yoke up with and get under that yoke and pull together in the same direction. 
Acts 19, 21, after all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I'd been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. And he sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. Timothy had Erastus. And this last one, I think, is really, really cool. Acts 20, one through five, where it was expanding and all these Talmudims were expanding in the early church. When the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples and after encouraging them, said goodbye and sent out for Macedonia. And he traveled through that area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people and finally arrived in Greece where he stayed three months because the Jews made a plot against him. Just as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia. Now look at this. Paul was accompanied by Sopater, son of Pyrrhus from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derbe and Timothy also with him, and then Tychicus and Trophimus from the province of Asia. These men on went ahead and waited for us at Troas, Paul said. These are these discipleship duos, these Talmudim teams, Paul and Sopater in Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus and Thessalonica, Gaius and Timothy and Derby and Tychicus and Trophimus in Asia. And then they met together in Troas after they were done to almost take the whole team like the 12 would go out and then they band together. What happened? What did you do? What did you see? What did you learn? And it was like, that's where they would lick each other's wounds and light each other up again to take missions again. And they met at Troas to talk about all the things they saw and learned and heard. See, if you're only doing church for an hour a week, you can do that alone. You just can. If you just are coming here and I'm glad you're here and this might be new for you, you can do that alone. That's not really hard to get to church for an hour and a half and go home. But if you plan on being the church in this world, like lambs thrown to the wolves, you better have somebody to go with. It, it's demands demand partnership, a Talmudim. And Jesus knew this, much like the great theologian in the 80s, Rob Bass, that wrote the song, it takes two to make a thing go right. It takes two to make it out of sight. He's talking about Talmudims in this back in the 80s. See, the primary purposes of these Talmudim teams and that culture were to read and to memorize scripture together. So first of all, if you were a Talmud, you had to memorize the whole Torah. And I don't think I could do that unless somebody held my feet to the fire. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's a lot. And so they would memorize scripture together and through that repetition that would aid their learning. They would talk about the, what the scriptures meant to them. That was interpretation. One of the most dangerous things is people studying God's word alone. In fact, that's why in the scriptures, you would take the scriptures to an assembly and you'd have the public reading of the scripture. One of the reasons you'd have public reading of scripture is so that you could all collectively in the assembly have collective discernment and interpretation. A lot of good cults have been started by people who take this and study it alone and come up with their own interpretation. Then you choose these little missions to live out the scriptures together. You go do mission. You go do ministry together. And then when you're done, you talk about what the missions meant to you. You debrief together. So they're studying the Torah, interpreting it together, going on missions of ministry, and then debriefing together. How you doing? How did that go? Let's not do that next time, right? See, disciples needed this live-in, live-with consultant or counselor with them. And the question is, why was this a prerequisite, this two-by-two two thing, so predominant in the scriptures as a whole? Why did Jesus use this cultural strategy in discipleship? Well, to me, there are several reasons as I've studied this paradigm, and there's some really cool stuff out there to dive into the Hebrew, like interpretation of rabbi and Talmud and, and, um, and studying the scriptures and Mish, Mishnah, I think it is, and all these things that they did together. As, as couplets. First is study, studying the scriptures together, talking about the scriptures together. Second, that culture, it was safety, protecting each other, because you go and you walk on the roads and there's bandits all over the place and you need somebody to defend you and for you to defend. 
self-awareness, monitoring each other's blind spots. It's knowing that you're different and saying, hey, you're not seeing this, but I can see this. Stamina, encouragement, and struggles. That, that staying power, it's critical to have another person with you. Seduction, when you're out on the road and, and all by yourself, accountability and temptation, it's like that was critical. Sanity, and I, I put that down just because it's talking through internal conversations in your head. How many of you talk to yourself inside your head all the time? How many of you know how dangerous that is to let the lizard brain talk to you about what is real? And sometimes you have to share what you're talking to yourself about and the other person's like, that's not true, man. This is who you are. I believe you're bold. I believe I'm you know, a weenie. You're not a weenie to me. Nobody cares about my life. No, tons of people care about your life. What about this? What about them? What about them? I just wasn't remembering that. They help you remember what's true instead of what your brain tells you is true. Because a lot of us are insane in the membrane, as the old song said. Who, what was, who sang that song? What? Cypress Hill. I thought you said a sight in Brazil. Proverbs 27, 17. As a iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. You believe that? And if you want to be a sharp sword in the scabbard of God, then you got to be with somebody else that will sharpen you, disagree with you. I'm not talking about finding somebody that's like a holy huddle and they're just yes man in your life. I'm talking about somebody that's like, that's wrong. Now, I'm not letting you do that anymore over my dead body. You know, I, I hate being with guys where you get together and you're like, I've been struggling with lust lately. Me too, me too, me too. So we can keep doing that? I need somebody to be like, well, me too is good as far as relating and, and you know, having somebody to identify with your struggle, but you need somebody to be like, so let's not anymore, okay? Or let's not go there anymore. Or what can you do to, to, to stop that in your life? We don't need people just to get together and be me too, me too, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine. I don't need that. I want somebody to sharpen me. And when you gotta sharpen a sword, it's gotta clash with something else hard in order for sharpening to take place. So you don't get a limp noodle to be with. You gotta get with somebody that has a stout heart and is not scared to talk to you, get up in your grill and say, hey grill or girl, um, no more of that. We're not gossiping anymore when we get together. Well, that makes me feel bad because it makes me feel like you're judging me. I am judging you. No more of that. It's wrong. This idea that we're not allowed to judge each other is trash. It's trash. Now, you're not supposed to judge them like you're better than them and they're below you. You don't debase someone because nothing's beneath, beneath you either. But sometimes you're like, ah, my judgment call is we shouldn't do that anymore. Somebody's got to make a judgment call. Somebody's got to say that's wrong. <laughs> well, you're judging me. Yeah, you're darn right I'm judging you. So let's not do that anymore. Impact's so hardcore. <laughs> see, there's also this exponential impact of partnership that's really cool. You see in the scriptures, Deuteronomy 32, 30, one man chases a thousand, but two put 10,000 to flight. It's like 10 times the traction of what you end up doing when you're pushing back the darkness in life. You can feel that too, it gives you confidence. And even with Jesus, the first thing that Jesus did when he started his earthly ministry, he found friends. Just read it in the gospels. He found friends, I need people to be with. And he's 30 years old and he's God in the flesh. If anyone doesn't need a Talmudim, it's Jesus. He's got his father, he's got the Holy Spirit, he's already got built-in community, he's good to, nope, he found friends, human beings, so that when he struggled, they struggled with him. And there were three in particular in his Talmudim, Peter, James, and John. When he went to the mountaintop to experience something glorious, he took them with him. When he went to the valley and he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he wanted them to watch and pray and stay awake. What the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Well, wake up. I need your flesh and your spirit to be strong. 
How many of you need someone else around you to be strong? I'm telling you, if you don't need somebody to be strong around you, somebody else needs your strength to be strong around them. This ancient Christian teacher, this writer, Tertullian, said in Latin, solus Christianus, nullus Christianus, which is a Christian alone is not a Christian. Sounds like something a desert father would say. And I just think that's, that's the ethos of Christian discipleship is we actually look at the life of Jesus, the Old Testament, the missionary journeys, and it's like Christians didn't go alone. They went in twos. And so today I wanna ask you to pursue what I've called the irreducible minimum of Christian community, which is first to follow the rabbi, find another Talmud or disciple, and form a Talmudim. And it can be two by two or three. But you can't have this one be a big group because if it's a big group, it, it ends up being diluted and it, and it becomes hard for everybody to speak and share uh, what's going on in their life. And the reason why it's really good to have two is that when you're trying to get your schedules aligned, you don't have to get 14 people aligned. It's like, I just have another guy, and if it doesn't work out tomorrow, can we meet on Thursday at three? Yeah, that works, boom. The bigger this gets, the more diluted it gets, and the more impossible it gets to schedule. That's why two by two is so critical. And also, you can just text a dude or a dude at, at night and say, I'm going through something hard, man. It's killing me. And it's 1130. It's like, man, you can call me anytime. Not everybody can call me anytime, partly because I'm a bed, in bed and I won't wake up for the buzz on my phone. You can call Ryan um, or John. But like, no, for real, when I, I got a guy right now, another Talmudim that I started um, in the middle of this quarantine, they're just young guys, Blake and Brock and Brandon and Jared, young families, and I just felt God put in my heart, God, you need to be a rabbi to some younger guys. And so we started and we Zoom called, you know, in the beginning. And then we actually met not long ago and our wives got together. And I'm pouring into these guys, scripture passages every day, quotes, ideas, writings, holding them accountable. It's just so critical to be pursuing that, not just my own Talmudim that I have, but how can I be a rabbi to others and teach them what I've learned? And even if you've only been a Christian for a week, there's people who aren't Christians at all and you can just go and say, I want to disciple you. Everybody can disciple and be discipled at any time in their life. This, I'm green lighting everybody. This isn't just for like men of the cloth. You know, this isn't just for, you know, people that go to seminary. This is Christ followers. And this ethos was put throughout the scripture. There's a power in braiding your life together with another disciples, you experience the presence of God in this life. Even Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. The very presence of God is sent to be in the midst of people where two and three are together in his name. And you experience the manifest, special Shekinah glory presence of God in that atmosphere. Don't take my word for it, try this out. It actually makes the Christian life meaningful. You've wondered, why is this so boring? Because you're not doing it with anyone. It's not going from like Monday to Saturday. You need somebody to walk with you in life and it just starts to get exciting when you have somebody else asking you questions and following up with you on the following Christ thing and saying, did you follow through on what you said you were gonna do? Oh. I mean, this is how things get done in the church. So in this time of COVID, when so many people are hesitant to gather in large groups, some are even online right now and don't even wanna to go to small groups, I'm asking you to return to the biblical idea of discipleship and pursue a Talmudim to follow after God with. Because even in COVID, Jesus um, had done you know, some different Zoom calls with his disciples at different times and just had them up there. I love this one. Hey, what did he say? You know, his, his connection's bad. And a lot of that was happening. These, <laughs> that's a joke. That, that is not what they did. Some of you here are like, wow, I didn't know he did that. 
did he have a PC or a Mac? And you can see Jesus had a Mac, which everyone who knows anything does. Three critical things as we uh, end naturally occur in two-by-two Talmudim relationships. One, you follow God with others and you've experienced community that's different than just a bunch of people cramming in a glorified pole barn. This is real community. And then you follow up, which is accountability, in order to follow through, which is responsibility. Community that leads to accountability, that leads to taking responsibility. The, the you know, road to hell is paved with good intentions. We all want to do a bunch of things, but most of us won't do them unless somebody holds our feet to the fire. I don't care whether you're on-site or online. I'm asking God to bring to mind right now, who's this person? This, this is what should be happening right now. Who is the person that I feel like God wants me to yoke up with to bear witness to each other's lives and to bear burdens together in this thing called the Christian life? You got it? Is the spirit bringing anybody in your mind? I know some of you have life groups and you have groups of people you hang with, but a lot of those groups don't go very deep. You need somebody to go really deep with. Because the deeper you go, the farther you make it. So if you're online or on site, this is just like the irreducible minimum of Christian community. And if you're lucky, you might begin a friendship with someone that looks a little bit like these two. Check this out, and we'll close in prayer. And turn that up. 100-year-old best friends share their secrets to lifelong happiness and friendship. Now, these two women have been friends for 94 years. Can you imagine what you think of the world today if you grew up back in the 30s? Well, we ask them to give us their opinions and their takes on today's pop culture. <laughs> Pretty funny some of the stuff they had to say. Check out Irene and Alice. Selfie? I don't know what she's saying. Where you take a picture of yourself and you put it on Facebook and let everybody when, see it. When do you take a picture of yourself? Oh, they do it. They do it. I don't. Oh, no, you don't and I don't, but they do. Who's they? Other people. <laughs> I gotta try that sometime. I had enough pictures taken of me. I didn't have to take my own pictures. <laughs> oh. Have you heard of it? The dance? Yeah. Oh, I've been so far from the dance floor that I don't <laughs> know what's going on. We did the one, two, three shuffle. <laughs> when I think of it, we must have looked like I don't know what. <laughs> yes, a hundred percent. Listen, oh, I am so irritated, and you can't call the telephone company. I don't know what happened to good old Illinois Bell Telephone. <laughs> Oh, that kid, the singer? What do you think of who? Justin Bieber, that singer. <laughs> I think he's in movies, isn't he? He's not doing something right, from what I heard. I don't remember. Did, am I right? You're right, you're right. Oh, you're yeah, you're he, right. but I don't know what it is. Go, let's go to the next question. That wasn't a very good one for us, was it? <laughs> <laughs> what did you, I didn't hear The baby you, name. What do you think of the baby name North? North? Whose name is that? <laughs> Spell it. M-O-R-T-H? You're kidding. <laughs> oh, B-F. F. E-F-S. Oh, best friends? No. Oh. F. Friends. Want to say goodbye? B-F-S. That's supposed to be Oh, give it up. <clears throat> you, 
you imagine walking with somebody for 94 years in friendship? And so maybe today a friendship's going to start, a call's going to be made, a text, and say, let's, uh, let's journey together for the long haul and um, get to know each other and care about each other and laugh together and cry together and uh, really just make an impact for the kingdom together. Two by two, not one-on-one, but two by two relationship with God. Let's find those Talmudims. God, we thank you for your word. And I know this was somewhat of a a flyover of so much in the scripture, but I want our community um, to not rely on bigger settings to bring inspiration because really where transformation happens beyond inspiration is in these like friendships where it's not high octane the whole time. It's sometimes really... um, just ordinary, and uh, some weeks, a lot of weeks are just very ordinary, but somebody to walk with as we follow you together, and I know what that's meant for my life for the last, um, yeah, the, really the last 28 um, years or so where I've just had friends in my life that you've brought into my life or that I've pursued that have shaped me into who I am today, and I pray today you will start budding friendships that will sort of grow up and um, challenge each other, that we would read the scripture together, talk about it together, do mission and ministry together, and then debrief about that together so that we can grow. We want our lives to make an impact here because we're gonna be in heaven soon and we're not gonna need all this stuff. We're not gonna need small groups and accountability groups and, and CR groups and we're not gonna need friends to make sure we don't sin and we're staying on track and accomplishing our goals. We're just gonna know you as we're known and we're gonna just be free. But for now, we need this stuff in order to make our lives count for eternity. So God, help us to leverage our lives uh, toward your kingdom and to make something like this that was so critical in early discipleship in the church that we've lost down through the years. May we ignite that again and may Christian community in the irreducible minimum just start like a wildfire in this place. And I pray this in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Thanks for coming tonight.